The Nonprofit Happy Hour. A weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do-gooders with interviews, music, and documentaries. You're listening to the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. Learn more online at mediamakingchange.org. I'm Rachel Miller Howard. On today's show, we bring you a conversation with Brandy Tuck, who's the executive director of Portland Homeless Family Solutions.
That was Psycho Star by King Tough. I am Phil Bussey. This is a nonprofit happy hour. That song has absolutely nothing to do with uh, the substance of what we're talking about, but our guest, Brandy Tuck, who's executive director of Portland Homeless Family Solutions, simply has good taste in music. Welcome. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much. Portland Homeless Family Solutions. There's a lot in there that I, I guess those four words somewhat describe what you're doing. They 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 quadrangulate uh, the the mission. But let's let's start with the scope of the issues. Uh, homelessness is obviously uh, an issue that is um, visible and a concern uh, in Portland. Um, let's start with some numbers. Yeah. I mean, everyone who lives in Portland or, or comes to Portland can see that we're experiencing a homeless state of emergency and a housing crisis. But what everyone doesn't know is how many people who experience homelessness are kids and their parents. Last school year, the Oregon Department of Education reported that 4,300 students experienced homelessness in Multnomah County alone. Statewide, that number was 22,000 kiddos who experienced homelessness in one school year. And that doesn't count their little brothers and sisters who aren't in school yet, and it doesn't count their moms and dads. So there are lots, thousands, tens of thousands of moms, dads, and kids in Oregon who experience homelessness every year. And this, this may seem like a simple question, but but I, I, I think there's a deeper uh, or more complex answer to it. What does actually homelessness mean in terms of the definition of that? I mean, when 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 uh, when somebody's been counting, is that is that one night? Is that a week? Is there is there anything that that brings them into this uh, category? Yeah, it's it's people who at some point in the year have slept in a place not meant for human habitation or somewhere that was not safe. So it's sleeping outside in your cars. It's being doubled up in apartments and living in a different place every night of the week. One night waking up in Troutdale, the next night Tualatin, the next night downtown Portland. And for the kiddos that are experiencing homelessness, they don't have anywhere to do their homework or brush their teeth or eat dinner on a consistent basis, and we are expecting them to go to school and learn all their lessons and, and become productive people, and they don't have the basic home to, to be able to come back to to make that possible. Yeah, uh, unfold that scenario for me a little bit more. So so where how are the students in a school district then? I mean, at some point they need to sign up for a school district. to ha- You need to have a permanent address. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of protections for children who experience homelessness. The McKinney-Vento Act passed in the early 90s set up a lot of protections for kids. So if a kid does experience homelessness, they have a couple of options. They can stay in whatever school they were already in. And then that school is responsible for getting them to and from school every day, from their shelter or wherever their car is parked or, or from a friend's home. Or the kids can go to the new school where their shelter is or wherever they're staying, and then that school is responsible for getting them to and from schools. But the but the responsibility really let, rests on the school districts of, of getting those kids in the building. And sometimes that doesn't happen. When kids are so transient that the school districts really have no idea where they are, you can bet they're falling through the cracks and they are not getting to school. Right, and that obviously that sets up a, a, a bad trend for them, for those youngsters as well. So, I mean, it's fair to is it fair to say that homelessness is the symptom, symptom, but not the cause? Yeah, I think so. I mean, absolutely. We know that in our society, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer, and that's exactly what's happening. The people experience homelessness for a variety of many, many different reasons, but basically, people experience homelessness because 
housing is really expensive and jobs don't pay enough. The average minimum wage earner working 40 hours a week, so full-time earner, only brings home about $1,600 a month after taxes. The average two-bedroom apartment in Portland is $1,200 a month. So after you pay your rent, you have $400 a month left over for utilities, gas, for your food, your transportation, for everything that you need. And that just doesn't go very far. When you have kids, child care is $900 a month per kid. So when you pay your rent and your child care, you're already negative $500 and you haven't spent any money on anything yet. And so this is the reality for so many of our families. The people who come to get services from us, they work at hotels, they work at grocery stores, they work at the mall. We have people who work at some of the big design companies that you know, I'm not going to say which one, but, but some of our big ones that we're really famous for, we have people who work there in the corporate offices who live in our shelter with their kids. And, and, and now, I mean, you listed off a few of the, the underlying causes. Um, housing prices has gone up, uh, rent has gone up, uh, jobs. But you're only one part of that puzzle. That has to be frustrating at times because you can, you can provide, as your name says, a solution for part of it, but the other causes aren't there. Does that mean that you're, you're, you're talking to other nonprofits or are you just, do you stay in your lane? Oh, no, we don't stay in our lane at all. We are here to try to fight racism, to fight all of the oppressive situations going on in our state and our community. So, no, we don't stay in our lane. Um, and we recognize that the, the issues that our families face are immense and they're big and they're complicated. So we extensively partner with the city, the county, and dozens of other nonprofits and faith communities and so many people in, this, uh, in our community to help these families get out of homelessness and get out of poverty. We need connections to people who provide mental health care, job training, employment training, connections to jobs, uh, connections to education, so many different services that our families access. All right. So you, you just mentioned city and county. I want to shelve that for a little bit later because mm -hmm. that is obviously, an, I am excited and interested to hear your opinions on if the city and county are doing all that you believe they can do. But let's keep talking about the scope of who you are. You've said we do this a few times. Who's we? What? What are? What? How big is Portland Homeless Family Solutions? How many people are working there? Yeah, at PHFS, we empower homeless families with children to get back into housing and stay there. We have a core team right now of about twenty-five individuals, and as we are, we are in the a big transition phase right now as we scale up. The problem is huge. It's immeasurable. I would say. And, and, and while we have limited services that help families get back into housing and stay there, we know that there are so much more need than we have services for. And so we are scaling up. We're tripling our capacity over the next year. Um, and as a result, we'll hire about 15 new staff over the next six months or so. Um, and in addition, we'll, we'll hire about 12 temporary staff to open our family winter shelter. So we're, we're a growing team. Got a lot of folks. So you just bought a new building, Southeast Lentz neighborhood. Um, talk to me about that building and how that came about, because that's a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. We're really excited about it. Uh, about a year and a half ago, the PHFS board challenged me to come up with a long-term vision for PHFS's future. And so the staff and I thought about it, and we came back to the board with a vision for the Family Housing Center, which would be a one-stop shop for families experiencing homelessness, where they could come receive emergency shelter, they could get help moving back into housing, get help preventing homelessness before it even started, and get help 
receiving the long-term support, case management, and life skills training that they need to keep their housing. And we wanted to own this family housing center so we could build equity to reinvest in our programs. So we came back to the board and said, this is our vision. The board said, great, that sounds perfect, let's do that. So we called it the moonshot because we thought it would be 10 years away. We thought it was going to be a very long-term vision. And so we started making all of our decisions about whether they propelled us towards the moonshot or away from it. We had a big funding opportunity coming up. So we said, is there anything we can do in the short term that could help propel us towards the moonshot? So we went and started looking at properties around town, and then we found this big old Russian church in southeast Portland, and we fell in love. Uh, right away, I could envision the moonshot in that building, uh, and came back to the board, and I said, board, I think this is it. I think this is our moonshot. I think we have to buy this property. And the board came out and saw it, and they said, great, it's perfect. Let's do it. So we put in an offer of $3.3 million just in December of 2017. But the thing is, we didn't have two point or three. We didn't have $3.3 <laughs> million. We had never raised that much money. Um, and so we set out to the community saying, community, will you come together and help us buy this building? And they did. So we closed in May of 2018, just this last spring. Um, and we are in the process right now of remodeling our moonshot building, which will take our shelter capacity from eight families a night to 26 families a night. And we'll be able to expand our prevention, housing and life skills programs as well. So, so you just what you just posted on Facebook and like, hey, we need three point three million dollars, and yeah. people are like, ah, yeah, here you go. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Uh, we went to all of our donors. We went to the business community. We went to the foundation community, folks that we've been building relationships with for over a decade, and we said, okay village we need help right now will you help us buy this building and they did the business community stepped up we went to Stoll Reeves and they challenged the downtown business community to help them raise so much money to to help us buy this building their employees from the mailroom staff up to the senior managing partner at Stoll Reeves even the Stoll Reeves guy from Alaska came down um, they together combined and donated $130,000 they then challenged the downtown business community, places like the Standard and PGE and EPBNB and Moss Adams and Dun Carney, all of these other downtown businesses came together, raised another $125,000 on top of that. So they brought in two fifty dollars just from the business community. Oregon Community Foundation stepped up in a huge way. I mean, it was really all these different people. The city came in with $500,000, the city of Portland. Um, and so it was just a lot of folks coming together. You know, and, and there's a lot of things that are interesting that because because um, Portland Homeless Family Solutions has been around 10 years, which is which is admirable. But that is not as long as some other nonprofits. And, and I would imagine that being uh, one of the new kids on the block is maybe you don't have uh, people aren't as willing to open up their checkbooks to you. Well, so we are kind of a new kid on the block, but our roots go back to 1994 when okay. the Goose Hollow Family Shelter was created by a group of committed volunteers. Um, and so the Goose Hollow Family Shelter ran from about 1994 um, for about a decade or so until I was hired in 2007 to be the executive director of this little Goose Hollow Family Shelter, which had eight families with children a night during the winter months. It was only November through the end of April. I was very young and very ambitious. 
uh, and, and we wanted to grow and be able to build more impact. And so the last 10 or 11 years have been us growing this little shelter into this larger social service nonprofit. And so, I mean, I guess our we also have been very intentional about collaborating with organizations from the very beginning. So we're part of Multnomah County's Homeless Family System of Care, which is a group of nine organizations that are all working together to fight homelessness. Um, and so we have six culturally specific partners in our group, and we all work together to both help families move back into housing, to prevent homelessness, to provide shelter, and to help families keep their housing long term. And, and and so then, just to be clear, P, PHFS is not a shelter. I mean, it is, but but that's that's tip of the iceberg. Right. Yeah, we have four main programs, and our shelter program is one of them. That's right. Uh, and and because shelter is such a finite resource, we only have X number of beds per night, we only serve a small percentage of the families who need shelter in our community. Last year, we served 288 families, which is 976 moms, dads, and kids, and only about maybe 180 of those families, so a little more than half of them stayed in shelter. The other half uh, that we work with are families that are experiencing homelessness that never come to shelter. They stay in their cars, they stay on the streets, and we help them move directly back into housing from wherever they are without ever coming to shelter. So I want, I want to keep talking about the building a bit. Um, so I, you know, I've not visited, but I did look at the uh, the photos online. I gotta say, it looked a little bit like a West Elm catalog. Like it was like <laughs> very like bright. Everything seemed to be painted white, fairly mm-hmm. um, minimalistic, modern architecture. Mm-hmm. Like. There, there's, there's a purpose behind that design, I believe. Yeah, when we bought the building, we uh, started about researching how to design a new shelter because we had never done something like that before. And we happened to come in contact. We were introduced to Jessica Helgerson, who is an interior designer in Portland who's kind of famous. She was on the cover of Dwell magazine this summer for her Santa Barbara property. Uh, and so she was introduced to us, came out and toured our Goose Hollow family shelter and toured our new property in Lentz, uh, and we told her that we practice an evidence-based practice called trauma-informed care, which many, many social service providers practice. It's the understanding that people who experience homelessness are in the middle of a trauma, a very stressful time in their lives, and their brain is uh, responding with some chemicals that actually turn off your logical thinking part of your brain, and you only have fight, flight, or freeze. Uh, available to you. And so when people are experiencing homelessness, they are in this crisis mode, this state of emergency, because their brains are telling them that they don't have the basic layer of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? They don't have shelter. They don't have food. They don't have clothing. So their brains are in survival mode. Uh, And so trauma-informed care is the practice of understanding that and trying to help families heal through it rather than exacerbate it or make it worse. And as I said, many, many nonprofits practice that. Almost all of them here in Portland do. And when we met Jessica Helgerson, we told her the basic tenets of trauma-informed care that we believe in are we want this new shelter to build dignity, to restore power, and to promote autonomy. 
And when we told her this with tears in her eyes, she said, I will design this new shelter for you. I will do it pro bono. And she's donating 300 hours of her and her staff's time. So when we started researching how to take these concepts from trauma-informed care and apply them to the built environment, we found this whole branch of trauma-informed design and architecture that research shows actually helps people heal through the crisis of homelessness faster and leads to better outcomes. People have shorter shelter stays and they have greater success moving into housing. And so when we heard about this, we said, this is exactly what we want to do. And so we right now are in the middle of a trauma-informed redesign of our building and in the middle of a construction project. <laughs> and when, when do the doors open? When are they slated to open? Yeah, doors are slated to open sometime this winter, probably in February of 2019 is what we're aiming for. Um, and with construction, there's always setbacks, it seems. Um, but we're really eager to be able to open our doors and welcome families to this new community. I want to talk a little bit about you, about the organization. Um, you, 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 you took this organization about ten years ago, uh, and and from from what was you said a small shelter into to where it is now. I, I I think that's an interesting time frame and too because at that time there was a lot of talk about at city council uh, the tenure plan to end homelessness in Portland. Where ten years later homelessness has not ended. That's right. Yes, the 10-year plans were never good names because there was no way we were ever going to end homelessness in 10 years. Um, but yeah, hom homelessness is complex. We haven't always had homelessness in America, believe it or not. Homelessness is not normal. And there are lots of people who remember times in America where there were not families and individuals living on the streets. After the Great Depression and World War II, the government enacted some policies that elevated our country out of poverty, out of the Great Depression. Um, we gave people jobs through the GI Bill, and we helped people buy houses through reforming the home mortgage industry. And we also created the Federal Housing Authority and started pumping about $80 billion a year into the creation and maintenance of affordable housing all over the country. In the 80s, the Federal Housing Authority was defunded from $80 billion to about $20 billion a year. Many of those properties fell into disrepair, were torn down. When I was little, think of the projects being dynamited on TV. And we lost millions of units of housing stock across the country. Now it's 35 years later. We haven't spent time rebuilding that housing stock. We have spent time building an emergency social service network of shelters, emergency rooms, social service agencies. And we have built up this now multi-billion dollar social service industry, but we don't have the basic housing infrastructure for everyone to live in. And so that's really what's at the crux of our problem here is we don't have enough housing for every person and family who needs a home. Are there any indicators that that the, the, the courses of that is changing? I mean, obviously, you guys are an indicator. But, <laughs> yeah. but, but I guess maybe the, the question then is how unique is Portland Homeless Family Solutions uh, uh, or are you indicative of a leading edge of... of um, programs. Yeah, I think we're on a leading edge with our trauma-informed design and architecture because we're trying to prove that there is a better, more humane way of providing resources to people who experience homelessness that aren't 
traumatizing, re-triggering, that don't actually inhibit brain development and brain growth, but that actually help people heal and move on to lead productive lives. And so in that way, we are on the cutting edge. Um, but but really what our country needs to do is, is, you know, there's a lot of talk about can Mayor Wheeler solve the homeless crisis in Portland? No, he can't. No, no mayor of Portland will ever be able to solve the homeless crisis in Portland because it's not a local problem. It's a national problem. We have issues in all up and down the West Coast, but it's national. I mean, in New York City, there are 70,000 people who experience homelessness every night of the year. That's huge. Yeah, that's uh, the twice the city of Bend. That's right. Yeah. So that, I mean, it's it's a national crisis and we're going to need to do something on the federal level if we're ever really, truly going to be able to change the course. Now, now your background is you're, you're from Florida. Mm-hmm. I'm a uh, proud Florida Gator. All right. Uh, <laughs> at, at what, what brought you to Oregon then? You know, right after college, I came out to Oregon to visit, and I fell in love. I actually had a job offer in Washington, D.C., and I was supposed to move to D.C. I had my boxes packed. I had everything ready. I had a plane ticket. I was coming out here to Oregon to visit for a couple of weeks, going home to Florida for five days, and then on to D.C. And I came out here, and I had spent a lot of time in D.C. as a high school and college student. And so I came out here to visit and was like, wait a minute. I don't want to move to Washington, D.C. I want to move here. So I called my sister, and I was like, Dory, do you think Mom and Dad will be mad if I move here instead? And she was like, yeah, I think they're going to be really mad. And they were, but they let me. My mom helped me readdress all my boxes, and they changed my plane ticket, and I moved to Portland five days later. With no job, no friends, no anything, uh, and I made it work. Um, and and in within that narrative, where where is this um, desire, motivation, need to uh, help homeless families coming from? Is that something that that you always had? Uh, is that coming? Where, 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 what's the source of that? Yeah, I think it is something I've always had that just laid underneath me for many years. I remember the first time I ever saw a person experiencing homelessness. I was eight years old, and we were in Washington D.C. actually with my on a family vacation, the five of us. And I vividly remember walking along the National Mall and seeing people who had been probably homeless for years and years and years, couldn't talk, had really no verbal skills anymore, hadn't had a shower probably in a few years years. Um, And my dad and my brother were laughing at this guy. And I was walking super far ahead of my family because I was crying. I was just so upset that the world was allowing this man to be here. And then fast forward to college. Uh, I went to college to be a New York uh, attorney. I wanted to go live in New York City, go to NYU Law School and be a fancy attorney. Uh, but and, and that's what I what I was going for. But then I went on an alternative spring break trip one year in college to Atlanta, Georgia, to do community service with the homeless. And it changed my life. And that trip cemented in me this passion for helping people experiencing homelessness. And I vowed on that trip that one day I would be in a position to do something to change things. And it's it's just wild that I sit here and, and I have my job that I have today and that I can actually affect change. And have you changed your, your, your brother's and your dad's attitudes? Uh, <laughs> no, probably not as much as I would like. I, my dad's coming around for a long time. He, he thought... 
Uh, I think his idea was, when are you going to get a real job, Brandy? Um, but now, I mean, he's been out. He's seen the property. He's seen the shelter. He's been to our events, and they they understand. I mean, it's it's an amazing accomplishment to to have uh, not only started the organization uh, to to have helped these these families, but you're clearly on a pivot point to something much larger with Portland uh, Homeless Family Solutions. Uh, that that has to be exhilarating. It is. It's. I mean, it's terrifying and uh, intense and overwhelming, but it's also really exhilarating. And to see our community come together and to see our staff and our board just gel so tightly over this building purchase and this remodel and to see people just step up and go over and above time and time again is it's um, it's humbling. It's amazing. It makes the world of 2018 America a little bit less painful for me <laughs> because we are we have so many people. Brandy Tuck is executive director for Portland Homeless Family Solutions. Thank you so much for coming in and talking to us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. The nonprofit happy hour is made possible by Beneficial State Bank a certified B Corp that holds to a triple bottom line of social justice, environmental well-being, and economic sustainability. If your organization or business is interested in underwriting our show, please email phil at mediamakingchange.org. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change and KXRY Radio, X-Ray FM. Our host is Phil Bussey. Our producer is me, Rachel Miller-Howard. Archives of past shows can be found on our SoundCloud page. Questions, comments, and ideas about the show can be sent to info at mediamakingchange.org. Thanks for tuning in.